0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the 8th episode of the Good Guy Podcast. As always, I am your host, Andres Valencio. Topics covered on today's episode include Why LeBron James is starting Just starting To remind me of another poor leader in sports What to make of Bryce Harper's record-breaking contract with the Philadelphia Phillies And the Celtics, let's be honest, they've been in a skid lately. I'm going to tell you who really deserves the blame for Boston's recent losing streak. Spoiler alert, it's probably not who the media would have you believe. we got all that and more coming up. You're listening to The Good Guy Podcast. Welcome to episode number 8 of The Good Guy Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Andres Valencio. Coming to you on Friday, March 1st, 2019. I hope that y'all had a beautiful week, have some big plans ahead of you for the weekend. It is finally March, folks. We can be excited about that. I'm really hoping that warm weather is on the way. I know that if you're anything like me, especially living in the Midwest, you are sick of this freezing cold, the snow, the winter. I'm ready for all of it to be over. So when you see... That calendar turn to March, you see that three at the beginning of the date. It tells me that hope is on the way for literally brighter days ahead. Very, very excited about that. In sports, March is great. We got March Madness coming up. The NBA regular season obviously winding down. Spring training, baseball will be Uh, You know, for opening day, it'll be here at the end of the month. Hockey, for those of you who follow that, you know, is getting going, obviously getting close to the playoffs. And the AAF is right in the midst of its inaugural season. Week three, we're starting to separate the contenders from the pretenders. I think for those of you who haven't been following too closely, Orlando and Birmingham, two 3-0 teams. I think it's safe to say that they're the real deal. Atlanta. Memphis sitting at 0 3, maybe not looking so hot, but when you're Memphis and you sign Christian Hackenberg to be your quarterback, I mean what else did you really expect? But like I said, it's finally March. Spring is getting closer and closer. Very excited to see that. St. Paddy's Day is coming up in a couple weeks. I know that when I was in college, you know, people have their own favorite holidays, whether it be Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween maybe 4th of July. My favorite holiday for 5 years without question was St. Patrick's Day. So I'm very excited to have that coming up in a couple of weeks. I will actually be spending it in Chicago for the first time. Uh my girlfriend and I will be headed down there to see the green water and drink green beer and see kind of the city uh you know, I've heard it's a wild time. So I'm looking forward to to being down there for that. Hopefully you guys who Enjoying St. Patty's Day the way I do. Have some big plans for it. If you have nothing else to do, might I recommend going up to CMU, Central Michigan, and waiting in line at O'Kelly's. We did that, my roommates and I, for years. I think the bar opens at like 8 a.m., and it's just an unbelievable time. So glad March is here. Hope you guys have some big plans for your weekend. Like I said, college basketball is heating up, NBA, AAF, spring training, NHL, Things are starting to look up in terms of weather and sports, so very exciting stuff uh, ahead of us as we flip the calendar to a brand new month. But as far as the NBA is concerned, the big game, the headline game on ESPN tonight, Lakers-Bucks. The Bucks, for those of you who don't follow small market NBA teams, are in the middle of an incredible season. The team has the best record in the NBA under first-year coach Mike Budenholzer, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think I said that right, the Greek freak, he's better known as, is having an unbelievable year. I picked him when I gave out my midseason awards as the league's MVP. James Harden's making it tough. He dropped 58 last night, his first game after his 30-point streak ended. That guy's unbelievable, and he's not going to make it easy on Giannis, but I still think I would give it to Giannis at this point, given the Bucks' success. He's must-see TV. If you haven't seen him play, tonight's a great chance to see him against the guy who is trying to take the best player torch from, LeBron James. Now the Lakers, on the opposite end of this matchup, have obviously been struggling this year. Lately, they're coming off some bad losses to some pretty... Pathetic non-playoff teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, the Pelicans without Anthony Davis, the Atlanta Hawks. And currently, they sit a game under 500. they they're 10th place in the West, and with 21 games left to play and a pretty difficult schedule, they're three games out of the 8th seed in the Western Conference playoffs. So, I think it's pretty safe to say that up to this point, the Lakers' season has been a struggle and a disappointment. And LeBron James has been under the microscope of all that. I mean, when you get the world's best player, regardless of the supporting cast you have around him, you expect better than to be sitting in the position they're at now. LeBron's used to being under the microscope. This is nothing new. But I don't think there's any doubt that he's feeling the pressure of where the Lakers are at. Recently, after LeBron came back from his groin injury, which cost him 18 games, and that really kind of helped put the Lakers in the position they're in now, LeBron made it known publicly that he was going to activate what he called his playoff mode earlier than usual. He was going to take his game to a new level to help carry the Lakers into the playoffs. But since he said that, things haven't exactly gone as planned. The Lakers, as I mentioned, have lost... Quite a few games to some teams that they really aren't supposed to, even since LeBron made his activation proclamation. And after one of the bad losses against the New Orleans Pelicans, LeBron seemed to want to kind of push the blame onto his young teammates and even seem to question their commitment to the game. He stated after, quote, It's how you approach the game every day. How you think the game every day. It's how you play the game, prepare for the game, it's not even like when you get to the arena, it's like way before that. It's is it the most important thing in your life at this time? He went on to criticize the Lakers culture the last few years. "Quote, the last few years everyone is so accustomed to losses that I'm just not accustomed to. I'm not accustomed to it. I would never get comfortable with losing." End quote. And he finally went on to even seem to take issue with the inexperience in the Lakers' locker room, specifically of guys like Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, stating, quote, when you've never been there or know what it takes to actually shoot for something like that, sometimes you're afraid to get uncomfortable. You've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm not saying that's who we are as a whole. It kind of looks that way at times that sometimes I feel like we're afraid to get uncomfortable, get out of our comfort zone. We have what? Twenty-three games left. We'll see what happens. End quote. Now look, I've said this on multiple occasions. I think LeBron James is probably the second best player of all time. One of the undeniably one of the greatest players in the league every year, even this year in quote unquote a down year, he's still probably a top ten, top five player in the league. And off the court, I've been adamant. I admire the things he's done as far as his philanthropy, his speaking out on social issues. I think LeBron James is a great role model off the court for kids. I've said that, and he's a great player on the court. But I couldn't help laugh when I heard him saying this stuff. He is flat out calling out his teammates. He wants to question their commitment to the game. Suggest they have a loser's mentality that he doesn't have. Suggests that they don't know what it takes to get there because they haven't been there. And all this finger pointing and this blame deflecting and this passive aggressive BS. It reminds me of someone who I don't admire. Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. Who if you've listened to the podcast before, I have been very Critical of Ben, if you followed his career in Pittsburgh, has been incredibly critical of his teammates, throwing them under the bus, criticizing Antonio Brown's route running and uh, James Washington's deep ball catching ability. He's thrown coaches under the bus, questioned play calling, clashed with offensive coordinators, deflective blame, never accepted responsibility for his poor play. Ben passive-aggressive, he never seems to want to point the finger at himself and say, I've got to be better. And I've been critical of Ben for that. I don't think that's what leadership looks like. Eventually, and I've always believed this, if you are the leader in a face of a team and you are eager to take credit but unwilling to take blame and accept criticism... Other players are going to notice and they're going to get sick of it. You see that now with Antonio Brown. He made it clear that part of the reason he wanted to leave Pittsburgh was Ben's not only willingness to blame others, but his inability to take blame on his part and the franchise's willingness to allow him to do so. Other stars get sick of that crap when they see it. And that makes them not want to play with you. And if you look at LeBron, no doubt he's been unbelievable on the court, but you can't say he's had great luck with getting stars to join him. First stint in Cleveland. Could never get a star. Kyrie Irving left him. Paul George, from L.A. Made it known he wanted to be a Laker. Decides to stay in OKC instead of joining LeBron with the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard... Reportedly has no interest in joining the Lakers. Kevin Durant has no interest in joining the Lakers. And you notice with LeBron, he's quick to accept the credit when things are going well. I'm the best player in the world. Oh, that comeback against Golden State, that made me the best player in the world. But you don't often hear him point at himself, take the blame, say, this starts with me. Let's just look at the facts. Since he came back from injury... He was supposed to turn things around, activate. The Lakers are 4-6. and six. He wants to question whether his teammates understand urgency. But have you seen the defense he's playing? There's clips of him playing, and I use air quotes here, defense against Memphis. It's embarrassing. It's pathetic. And he's been a great defender. It's an effort thing. It's a want thing. You hear him after these games. Too much me and them. I'm not, I don't have that mentality. I get what it takes. They don't. Not enough we. He, he questions whether or not basketball is the most important thing in their lives. But how about this? The game after he returned from injury, he sat out with what the Lakers described as load management against the Warriors. Recently, it came out that the night before that game, he was out... At least till midnight. Helping produce. A song for 2 Chains On his new album. So. It was important enough for him. To be there. Till all hours of the night. Helping him record an album. But he had to sit out the next game. For load management. And he wants to question whether it's the most important thing. In his teammates lives. Even look at his demeanor. Since he essentially alienated his teammates and didn't get, a, get Anthony Davis in a trade. Even his body language sucks. His effort, it's not there. The Lakers have followed his lead defensively. When he was out with injury, they weren't winning because they couldn't score. But defensively, they were a top 10 team in the league. Since he came back from injury in the 10 games he's been back... The Lakers have the worst defense in the league, statistically. I'm just being fair. Because when the Lakers win with LeBron, and when they were fourth in the West with LeBron, he got all the credit. And rightfully so. It was because of him. But when things are going poorly, if you get all the credit when things are going well, you're going to get the blame when they're not. And his lack of leadership, his lack of effort... That stuff rubs off on young guys. And for the record, Kuzma and Ingram have played pretty well since he came back from injury. So he's talking about their urgency and whether it matters to them. They're playing better than they were while he was hurt. He can sit there and lecture these guys on the right mentality and whether their urgency is there and whether they know what it takes and are willing to put it all in. But young guys watch film too, and they see him slacking. And not hustling. And not busting his butt on defense. If you want to question your teammates' effort or their urgency, you would better be able to back it up by busting your ass on film. Look, Ben Roethlisberger can't touch LeBron in terms of greatness, in terms of legacy, in terms of impact on his sport. They are in two different galaxies. But look, I don't think Ben will ever win again. Because of the crap he's pulling in Pittsburgh. And I don't want that kind of thing to fall on LeBron. He should be above this kind of petty, childish blame deflecting. I expect it from Ben. I don't expect it from LeBron. If the Lakers want to fix their season, LeBron has to own his faults and mistakes and pick up his teammates, make him feel like he believes in them. He can't separate them from himself. Because Father Time's undefeated. And if he wants to get the Lakers to the playoffs and help his legacy, he can't carry them by himself. He's going to need their help. Speaking of guys who are big stars in their sport, really faces of their leagues, last week we touched on a big move in baseball free agency. Manny Machado, the young star third baseman who's played for Baltimore and the Dodgers, signed a contract with the San Diego Padres. A 10-year, $300 million deal. Now, I said last week when the news came out that I love the move. I love it for San Diego, I loved it for Machado, and I loved it for baseball. Again, I've said this multiple times on this podcast, I'll admit it to anyone who asks, I am not any kind of baseball savant. I enjoy the postseason, I follow the Tigers, and I love my Lugnuts and my Thirsty Thursdays at the Lugnuts games. But I do understand, as a sports fan, the value of interest, of stories, and generating real buzz in an offseason. I understand the value of player mobility. And I genuinely felt that Machado's move was a good one for him, for San Diego, and for the league. A 10-year deal for a 26-year-old superstar? And you look. San Diego, they now have a cornerstone, face of the franchise kind of player. They have a great farm system to help build around them. I think I said last week, 7 of the top 50 prospects and 10 of the top 100 are in the Padres system. They've got good players on the way. And Machado can help garner interest for a team that has struggled to put fans in the seats, for a team that should dominate its city as the only major pro team left. No more Chargers there. They got the fleet. 2-1, and by the way, for those of you who aren't following the AAF, San Diego Fleet, on a two-game win streak. But Machado, I love this move for him. And look, the Padres have not been a a big, successful franchise, historically or recently. But again, they have young talent. And San Diego is a great city. I mean, if you haven't been there, and I haven't, but man, it looks beautiful. And I would love to live there. And it looks, I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Southern California in San Diego? It's beautiful. Hard to argue that 10 years, $300 million is a bad deal for the guy. I think that's outstanding. He's a great player if anybody in the league deserves that kind of money. Certainly Machado does. But what I loved most about his deal outside of the guaranteed money and what I think is an underrated situation baseball-wise, Machado has an opt-out after five years with the Padres. He can get out of his deal if he doesn't like the direction of the team, if he feels like he can get more on the market if things have risen by then and he feels like he's underpaid, whatever, he can get out of the deal. So I think it's truly a win-win for the player, lots of money, some flexibility, great place to live, and the team, franchise player, garnering interest, putting butts in seats, cornerstone piece. It's a win-win, and it's a great headline, which I felt was a win for baseball, so, yesterday, the Phillies signed superstar free agent and former Nationals outfielder Bryce Harper to a $13,330 million deal. Obviously, another big headline and story for baseball. Spring training is now underway the season's right around the corner and this is another you know news grabber for the sport that for most of the off season was largely forgotten went largely undiscussed but being that it's a big star there's player mobility involved philly's a great sports town it's an interesting storyline Not only with Harper signing with the Phillies, but eventually have to return to play the Nationals. I think 19 times a year. There'll be a story when he goes to play against the Dodgers, who were reportedly involved in talks with him. Given that it kind of checks all those boxes, obviously one would assume that I love this move for baseball too, right? I've got to be honest. I don't love this move. I don't love it for Harper. I don't love it for Philadelphia. And I really don't even love it for baseball. As far as as the Phillies are concerned, look, I understand Bryce Harper is only 26 years old. The guy was a phenom coming out of high school. He's unbelievably gifted. But it's a big risk signing a guy for 13 years. Especially... When his contract comes with a no-trade clause. Now I understand as far as the peaks of Bryce Harper. The guy's been an MVP. Like I said, he's electric. He's probably the face of the game. Unbelievably talented. He was hitting 500-foot home runs in high school, according to Sports Illustrated. So he can be right up there with the best in the league. But he also only hit 250 last season. He struggled with the shift. And we're talking about a guy who's going to be 39 by the end of this deal. And the Phillies, with the 13 years, with the no trade clause, they're going to be stuck with him regardless of whether he's amazing or if he's not, or when he starts to decline at, say, 35 or maybe earlier if he suffers an injury. As far as Harper is concerned, look, I get the allure. The contract that he received is the largest total value with a $330 million in sports history. And that's great. I mean, I don't think anybody could be too upset about signing a $330 million contract. But on a per-year basis, he's getting significantly less than Machado got. The Rockies this past week signed their star, Nolan Arenado, to a more lucrative per-year deal. I also feel like Harper didn't really wasn't really willing to bet on himself. He turned down better, what I perceive as better value offers from the Dodgers. For one, they offered him a three-year deal for $135 million. Now, I had to get my calculator out, but for those of you at home who don't have one handy... That's $45 million a year for three seasons. And if he played well for L.A., Harper could have re-entered the free agent market at age 30, which is still a prime place to be in terms of your prime in baseball. What he did instead was essentially sign away the rest of his career to a team that hasn't made the postseason since 2011. I'm not sure this move was about winning, and if you want to say it's about money, he could have gotten, at least from the Dodgers for a shorter-term deal, more money per year on a team that's done a lot more winning recently. Could have had his cake and eat it too. Oh, and by the way, you get to live in LA. He also, and the biggest issue I have with this contract, I wouldn't hate it nearly as much, the 13-year deal. But he has no opt-out clause in his contract. So for as much as the Phillies are stuck with him, he's stuck there. It's like a life sentence, a baseball life sentence. And as for baseball, why don't I love this move for baseball? Face of the league signs, record-breaking contract. What's not to love? I don't think it's great for the MLB to have the league's most marketable star essentially trapped with the same team for the rest of his career. Free agency and pending free agency, they make for great stories and speculation and draw interest both in and out of season. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, Bryce Harper probably, in fact, he definitely isn't baseball's best player he's not but I feel real comfortable saying he's undoubtedly it's most famous if Mike Trout walked up to you you wouldn't even know who he was Nolan Arenado wouldn't know who he was Manny Machado you wouldn't know it Bryce Harper I feel pretty confident saying at least most would know who he was You think about last season, even. Baseball's regular season is long and at times boring. Outside of the postseason, the best and most exciting moment of the whole baseball season was Bryce Harper winning the home run derby in his home park in Washington with his dad pitching to him. It was electric, he had flair. He's a star, and people wanted to see it. And now he's stuck in Philly for the next 13 years, good or bad. These kind of deals. Can you imagine if LeBron signed a 13-year deal in Miami after his first stint in Cleveland? Think how interesting it's been with him going back to Cleveland with him last year. Where's he going to go to the, to the 76ers? To the Rockets. He ends up going to the Lakers. It's exciting. Kevin Durant. He didn't sign a 13-year deal with Golden State. He signed like a four-year deal. And it's an opt-out after three. And people are wondering, will he go to the Knicks? Or to the Clippers? Or back to OKC? Or wherever. It's interesting. It makes for great theater and drama. Baseball is going to miss out on that. With, like I said, its most marketable star and biggest name. This was their chance to have it. And Harper's ensured, essentially, that at least with him as the face of the league, it'll be their last for a long time. So, if there's such a thing as a letdown after a $300 million plus contract being signed, I feel comfortable saying this would be it. I'm all for player more player mobility. I've been clear about that. I'm all for free agency splashes. And above all else, I'm for these guys getting paid. I just feel like, in all honesty, this was a poor long-term move for Harper, for the Phillies, and by extension, the league. So good for the Phillies. Good for their fans. I'm sure they're excited. Good for Harper if he's happy. He got his money. He knows where he's going to live for, for a while. Good for all of them. But I I really think as good as it may be for them, at least in the short term, I honestly think this is going to end up being bad for baseball. Always appreciate those of you guys who who take the time to listen, especially those of you who do so. Week in and week out, um, hope that you guys have some, like I said before, some big plans ahead of you this weekend. I know that, I, like I said, I'm excited for March, but unfortunately, the turn of the calendar has yet to bring along with it some decent weather, at least up here in Michigan. So if you're like me and stuck up here, I hope that you have an activity that you can do that keeps you warm, and if you're somewhere that uh, you get to enjoy some more spring or even summer-like weather. I hope that you're really appreciating the lucky position you're in and and keeping uh, those of us who are struggling through the cold in your thoughts as we get a little closer to spring each and every day. But uh, I want to get back to the NBA. The playoffs are about six weeks away, so the regular season is really winding down. And uh, at the beginning of today's episode we talked about LeBron and the Lakers struggling now look I I still think that there's time for them to get it turned around and until LeBron doesn't make the playoffs I'm not going to believe that he's not going to make it so still believe that there's time for them to get it right but no doubt one of the NBA's storage franchises is is really struggling and another historic franchise in the league in the midst of a struggle are the Boston Celtics The Celtics have lost four in a row and six out of eight in their recent skid. And while they're still in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoffs, they currently sit fifth in the East. And when you really take time to consider the expectations after what this team did last season, it's really a disappointment. They go all the way to Eastern Conference finals last year. They do it without their two best players. This year they get back Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, two guys who have been all-stars in the past, and add that to a young core that, like I said, was a game away from the NBA Finals last year. So for them to be not only in this recent skid, but really where they are in terms of the East standings, the season's kind of been a disappointment. I know that uh, Boston Homer and uh, basketball savant Bill Simmons I think he pegged the Celtics for 67 wins this year, so yikes. It has not remotely gone that way. And since since the Celtics have started this more recent slide, a lot of people are pointing the finger at one guy. Star point guard Kyrie Irving. And a lot of people want to point to this. The Celtics have lost their last six games in which Kyrie has played, and they've won their last six. That he hasn't. In fact, on the season, the team is 9-2 without Kyrie in the lineup and just 28-23 and 23 with him. The team's field goal percentage, points per game, assists per game, opponents' points per game, they're all up when Kyrie is not in the lineup. But I personally don't never have, and never will, buy into what I consider a ridiculous narrative that the Celtics are a better team without Kyrie Irving. But Andreth, they're 9-2 and that Kyrie. What do you mean? Yes, the Celtics are 9-2 when Kyrie Irving doesn't play. But they've played four teams above 500, when he's not in the lineup. They're 2 and 2. They've played 7 teams who are under 500 with him not in the lineup and they're 7 and 0. So most of the time Kyrie sits out it's against crappy teams who the Celtics can still beat. And when they play decent teams, they're a 500 basketball team. You will never never be able to convince me that teams are better off without great, talented, superstar players. Especially in a superstar-dominated league like the NBA. But, that being said, the Celtics are no doubt struggling, slightly above 500 with their best player in the lineup. And I believe it is time to point the finger... At the guy who needs to get these things figured out. And it's not Kyrie Irving. Don't get me wrong. Kyrie needs to be better. He needs to be a more consistent leader. I harped on LeBron's leadership earlier. Kyrie's got to get his shit in line. As far as leadership is concerned. The other night he made a comment after the loss to Portland. Oh, I just want to get to the postseason. Get this regular season crap over with. I didn't love that. I don't think that sends the right message to your team. You are not the Warriors. You can't just flip the switch when the playoffs start. You've got to use what time you have left in the regular season to get these issues figured out. Don't be looking to fast forward to the playoffs. Because if you don't get these issues addressed and fixed before then, Celtics won't be playing long in April. But, all that being said, to me the guy who's really got to get this thing going and get this thing turned around is Brad Stevens. Now look, since Stevens took over as head coach of the Celtics, he's done an outstanding job. Even when he was at Butler, I remember as a Michigan State fan, he beat Michigan State in the Final Four. He was great, took the team to -to back-to-back national championship game appearances. And other than Gordon Hayward, it wasn't like those Butler teams were loaded with NBA players. He coached his butt off and took a mid-major program to -to back-to-back championship games. He comes to Boston, first few years. Takes the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals twice. With 5'7", Isaiah Thomas as his best player on the first one. And last year without his two best players. Last year in particular, he coached his ass off in getting that team through two rounds of the playoffs. He beats Giannis in the Bucks, Simmons and Embiid in the Sixers, and goes seven with LeBron in the Cavs without his two best players. He's been called a boy genius, the Sean McVay of the NBA, and deservedly so. But... Boy, genius has got to be held accountable for the team's struggles now. I understand he's great with the X's and O's. And that's great in college, and that's great when you have mediocre players. But especially in the regular season, X's and O's aren't even that important. The regular season is all about managing minutes, managing injuries, and managing egos. He has struggled to get Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving back into the mix, especially when accounting for the growth of last year's best player in the playoffs, Jason Tatum. His team, it's undoubtable. You've seen the numbers. They have played better without stars in their lineup. His system almost seems to work better when there isn't great talent in it. And my take on that is this, if as a coach, your system is better without superstar talent, then you need to adjust your system. Because Kyrie is special. He's gifted. It's not his job to adapt to Brad Stevens' system. It's Brad Stevens' job to adapt his system to Kyrie. Great coaches can't be stubborn and force players who don't fit into their system. They have to build their system around the gifts and talent that they have, and he's lucky to have a talent and a lead player like Irving. It's not Danny Ainge's job, the general manager. It's not his job to get the Celtics mediocre, try-hard players so that they'll fit better into Stevens' system. It's his job to assemble the most talent he can. He's shopping for groceries and he's not interested in buying the off-brand stuff. He's doing whatever he can to get the best ingredients he can get Brad and saying, okay, make something with this. Make something really good with this. There are people who can cook pretty decent meals with crappy groceries. But the best chefs in the world and the best restaurants aren't using crappy ingredients. They're using the best of the best. And that's why they are where they are. Now, this look, this may seem harsh given Steven's success. Like I said, he's been great, and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. There's still 20-some games left in the season. He's, got, he's been great in the playoffs before. He's got time to figure this out, and I'm willing to believe that he will. But if he can't learn how to coach great talent and manage the egos that come along with it, I don't see how he'll ever win an NBA championship. NBA teams, the league champions are made with stars almost exclusively now there are exceptions growing up in Michigan the Detroit Pistons but guess what that don't happen often Phil Jackson wasn't a great coach to achieve great success because of the triangle that helps that's great but he was great because he managed the egos of great players like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kobe Bryant, Shaq. He helped those guys fit into his system. And it's not for everyone. You look at Greg Popovich. He was fortunate. And I don't, no, don't doubt me. Greg is a great coach. And a great man. But he was very fortunate to land an egoless star in Tim Duncan. And egoless supporting cast guys like Tony Parker and Manu. But frankly those guys aren't from here. And in America, young talented players have egos. And once Kawhi Leonard felt disrespected. And his ego was bruised. Popovich couldn't deal with it. And he lost him. So, look, we're all real quick to heap all the praise on Brad Stevens and call him the boy genius when the Celtics are winning without stars, when they got a bunch of try hard guys who fit the system. I'm just saying, let's make sure we keep that same energy and hold him accountable when he struggles to win consistently with stars. So, yes. Kyrie's got to get himself right. He's got to do his part, be a better leader. But this is Brad Stevens' operation. This is Brad Stevens' team. And more than anyone else, it's his job to get it fixed. Because if they don't, they're going to lose Kyrie. They ain't getting Anthony Davis And any chance he has of taking the step from boy genius to champion, that's going to go right out the window. In the last segment, we uh, touched on some historic NBA franchises that have been going through some rough times. Certainly more the Lakers than the Celtics. But uh, both kind of find themselves in the midst of tough stretches and I certainly would say most would agree other than people who hate those teams that it's better for the league when they have things right, when they're playing well because people love to hate them and there's big fan bases involved and it's great for the league. So, As somebody who wants to talk about sports topics that are interesting, it's my hope that the two of them get things right so that we have something to talk about as far, you know once the NBA playoffs roll around. And While we're on the subject of historic franchises in the midst of tough times, most people that know me personally know that I have long been a Dallas Cowboy fan. I I can't really explain why. I grew up in Michigan my whole life, but when I was young, I was just... I watched an NFL Films presentation... About the Cowboys. And I. Was just drawn to the allure. Of America's team. It was. It was a 30 minute show. And within 30 minutes. I was hooked forever. To say. That my experience as a Cowboys fan. has Has been interesting. Would be an understatement. Now there have been. Some real highs. I will never forget. I was in the 8th grade, and I attended a Lions game in which the Cowboys were visiting. And the Cowboys were like 10-1 and and having an unbelievable season, and the Lions were in the midst of kind of another eh season. But boy, Detroit played their butt off the entire game, and it looked like they were going to pull the upset. And with like 16 seconds left, Tony Romo throws a dart down the middle to Jason Witten for a game-winning touchdown. And I was the only person in the section of about, I don't know, hundreds of people cheering and going nuts uh, at probably 13 years old. And probably the most hated fan in that building in that second was me. But there have been many more lows. Tons of heartbreak over the years. I think back to three straight seasons the cowboys had final games of the season that if they won they won the division and were in the playoffs and they played each of their rivals those three different years the giants the redskins and the eagles and they lost three years in a row three sunday night primetime games in a row for three consecutive years i watched them go home empty-handed And even in the years they got to the playoffs, it's almost been worse. You think of uh, Romo's bobbled snap in Seattle. Losing to the Giants as the number one seed in 2007. Dez's catch that he didn't catch that now was a catch, but back then it wasn't a catch. Aaron Rodgers to Jared Cook on the sideline where he somehow gets both feet in and Mason Crosby hits like a 50-something yarder. To upset the number one seeded Cowboys in the divisional round. Even last year when. C.J. Anderson looks like a bowling ball with legs. Just runs right through Dallas's what I thought was going to be vaunted defense. I picked the Cowboys to win that game. Probably more with my heart than my head. But uh. But you know most people. My friends included have laughed at me over those. Those dark times. And uh. You know, understandably, the Cowboys are the world's most valuable team, most popular team, at least in the United States. And a lot of people have very little sympathy for Cowboys fans. I get it. I'm okay with it. But the team has been in the news this week for a couple of reasons. And I'll get to the more popular reason in a little bit. But I actually want to touch on what's been a less covered story for right now. Earlier this week, it was announced that Randy Gregory, the defensive end for the Cowboys, would be indefinitely suspended for violating the league's substance abuse policy once again. Now, Gregory has struggled with this issue dating back to his time in college at Nebraska. He was an elite prospect there, expected to be picked in the top five of the NFL draft, but these aforementioned issues caused him to fall out of not only the top 10 in the first round, but all the way to the end of the second round, where eventually the Cowboys did select him. Now, Gregory's already been suspended, twice for a total of 14 games back in 2016, and then again for the entire 2017 season. He came back this past season and had a pretty good year. He finished second on Dallas and sacks and quarterback pressures and finally had that kind of breakout season that we, the the Cowboys were expecting that the fans were expecting when they picked him back in the 2015 draft in December ESPN actually published a story about Gregory's battle with addiction. And he talked about how he spent months, six months in a rehab center and then transitioned into a sober living house And he described his battle with addiction. He's actually quoted as saying, look, I was in a pretty bad place. And the story kind of portrayed Gregory as someone who had finally found his cause, who had finally conquered his battle with addiction and had a newfound focus, had a great support system, and that his Challenges were kind of things that were behind him. And then, of course, as I mentioned, it came out this week that he had been suspended again. Randy Gregory, at this point in his career, has missed more games via suspension, 30, than games he's played in, 28. 28. Now, a lot of people have little to no patience for this kind of thing. Many, including the national media, and some people that I know personally who have reached out. They'll use it to take shots at the Cowboys, take shots at their fans, make fun of Randy Gregory, make fun of the team. And like I said before, I get it. People hate the Cowboys. And given his past and what he's going through right now, Randy Gregory's a real easy target. He shamed himself and he shamed the team with yet another suspension. Some have even called for the Cowboys to cut him, be done with it. They've given him way too many chances already. He's been suspended before. He's just a guy with a... a, He's a a druggie, and and they need to just cut him loose and, and be done with him. And I couldn't... I couldn't disagree more. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. I genuinely feel and believe that Randy Gregory... Should get as many chances. As he's willing to work for. I'm sorry. But I don't believe in throwing people. With addiction problems away. These people. Have a disease. They are sick. And they needed. And they need. Support. They need guidance. They need help. They don't need to be tossed away. They're not harming others. They're harming themselves. This is not Kareem Hunt or Ray Rice. I spoke on Kareem a couple weeks ago. I was adamant he gets one more chance. Because what he's in trouble for, he's hurting other people. It's disgraceful. But that's not what addiction is. And every time one of these players with addiction is willing to give it another try, is willing to say, I want to get better. I want to get healthy. I want to try again. We should afford them that opportunity. And this is not just about Randy Gregory. I would make the same case for former Browns and Patriots receiver Josh Gordon former Steelers and Raiders receiver, Martavius Bryant. And I will continue to feel the same about any other player with this problem moving forward. When people are sick, we give them help. If they get sick again, we continue to help them. I don't believe that Randy Gregory meant to let people down. I don't believe he meant to break the promises that I'm sure he made to his mother or to his father or to his two-year-old daughter. I believe he really wanted to mean the things that he said when he promised them. I'm sure that he was done with his issue. But he couldn't help himself because he has a disease, and it has a powerful grip on his life. So, I don't care if Randy Gregory never plays another down of football in Dallas, or anywhere. I want to see him live a fulfilled life, and to see him conquer his disease. But he has made the attempt before to get better, to fix his issues, and he's failed. But the fact that he's willing to try, that alone has made me a fan of his. Just like I'm a fan of anything, just like I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. And hey, the Cowboys at times, have shown me promise. They've gotten my hopes up. They've come so close only to let me down, disappoint me, and break my heart. But I'll always be a fan. And Randy Gregory, like the Cowboys, he has shown me promise, gotten my hopes up, Come so close. Only to let me down. Disappoint me. And break my heart. But as long. As he is willing. Every single time. That he fails. To get back up. And try and get better. And try and beat his demons. As long as Randy Gregory. Is willing to try. I promise. He will have a lifelong fan. In me. I will not be laughing. I will be rooting. For him on the field. And especially. Off the field. As we get closer to wrapping up. Today's episode. I've decided we're going to go ahead and give. A segment that we introduced a couple weeks ago, another go-around. The segment is called 3 for 3. For those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to the episode a couple weeks ago, or didn't listen to that particular segment, or just don't remember how it goes, our 3 for 3 segment is pretty straightforward. Essentially, I'm going to take three topics that were brought up throughout the week that I felt were noteworthy, but not necessarily worth their own 10 to 12 minute segment. So I'll take these three topics and we'll have a three minute timer going. I'll discuss each topic and once the buzzer goes off signaling the end of that topic's three minutes, we're done with it and we're on to the next one. We'll do this for each of the three topics talked about for three minutes, hence the three for three, pretty straightforward stuff like I said, so we're going to go ahead and get things going starting in the NFL in three, two, one. So, in case you haven't heard, it was reported last week that Patriots owner Robert Kraft was busted in a prostitute sting down in South Florida. The place was some kind of. Asian Massage Parlor, and it was reported that Kraft actually went in twice to receive sex for payment, including going on the day of the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. So he may have been feeling a bit stressed the day of the game. Now obviously this is not a great look for the Patriots franchise, which has been covered in scandal since the Brady and Belichick era. ...really has been going on, and this is just kind of the latest chapter in a line of shady stories to come out of that organization. Reportedly, Kraft has been caught on tape paying money for quote-unquote oral sex and manual sex. If you don't know what that is, use your imagination. Now, he's come out and he denied it. But the massage parlor has been linked to sex trafficking... That's a really serious deal. Now, early indications are that Kraft was unaware that the massage parlor was involved in that kind of activity. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he simply went in there to be serviced, if that's what you want to call it. If it ends up coming out that he was aware of the sex trafficking operations going on in that place... I think, of course, he should be forced to immediately sell the franchise by the NFL. That's the least of his problems. I would imagine he'd have to go to prison, I would hope. But if that's not the case, if, as I said, he simply intended to go in for what we might call a a service, I still think you have to punish him fairly severely. Because it's a terrible look for the league. He represents the NFL. And I believe that management and owners especially should be held to higher standards even than the players. So I think an appropriate punishment is to suspend Robert Kraft for a full season, not allowed to be involved in any Patriots football operations for a year, not allowed to attend any games, fine him $1 million, and if you want to force that money to go to sex trafficking organizations that that go to prevent that stuff, perfect. And the Patriots should have to give up a first-round pick In this year's NFL draft. Now the reason I say that is. I understand that his crime had nothing to do with football. But finding this guy money. When he's worth billions. Ain't going to hurt him. Take away picks. And he'll really feel it. Alright that is the timer for our first topic. We are done with that. We are going to move on. To a guy who. I have to admit. I was a huge fan of. Back in the day. When I was in college. As a young Whippersnapper, my favorite football player to watch was Texas A&M Heisman winning quarterback Johnny Manziel. He was the most exciting player in college football. If you didn't see him at A&M, you missed out. And I would say outside of my own teams having big success, Michigan State Rose Bowl, Cowboys 13-3 seasons. The most fun I've ever had watching football was watching Johnny Manziel on Saturdays at Texas A&M. The guy was unbelievable. Again, safe to say, I was a big fan of his. And coming into the NFL, I was a hardcore believer that he could succeed. And I was dead wrong. He was atrocious as a rookie in Cleveland. Now I will say, in his second year, he did play better. It was 2-4 as a starter for the Browns in 2015. The Browns went on to go 2-40, their next 42 games without him. So he wasn't terrible. But he struggled with substance abuse issues. He ended up skipping the final game of a season to go to Las Vegas. And the Browns cut him. So he spent the next two years out of football, seemingly partying his life away. However it seemed like he finally was recently getting his life in order. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, got on medication, was re-signed by his agent, got back into football shape, got married, and even signed to play in the CFL to prove he wanted to play in the NFL. He had his ups and downs in that league, but was scheduled to come back for year number two until he was recently banned by the entire CFL for breaching stipulations in his contract that made him eligible. Now, it's not yet clear why the CFL made the decision to ban him from the league. Some have speculated that he had some kind of relapse with alcohol or drugs. Others have suggested that he violated a non-compete clause by looking into negotiations with the new league's AAF or XFL. Whatever the case may be, it was easy to root for Manziel when he seemed like he was making this comeback But this latest thing is making it harder and harder to believe he's really on the right path. It's come out that the AAF is an interest of his and is interested in him. So I suppose that's a possibility. He'd be a big draw for the league. So it'd be beneficial, but this has got to be his last chance. I got to say, I'm rooting for him to stay clean, rooting for him to stay sober, and hopefully he can get back, play football, and have some success. That is our... Buzzer for three minutes. Getting on to our final topic. We are moving on to the Dallas Cowboys, who we discussed earlier. Jason Witten, the 15-year All-Pro tight end for America's team, announced yesterday that he is coming back out of retirement to play his 16th year with the Cowboys. Now, Witten, in making this move, is leaving the Monday Night Football booth after just one season. Look, I'm just going to call it like it is. I was not afraid to pile on praise for Tony Romo, former Cowboys quarterback who has been outstanding as a broadcaster. He's a star. He's great. I watched Monday Night Football this year, big football fan. Jason wasn't very good. He just wasn't. Let's just call it what it is. I'm not saying the job's easy. I'm not saying everybody can step in like Romo and be a star right away. But it it just didn't go well. Now, look, Booger McFarlane didn't help, and the guy, Joe Tessitore, he didn't perk my attention. But it didn't go, it wasn't exactly a rousing success for Jason and his one move in the Monday Night Booth. So he's coming back to Dallas to give it one more run at a ring. And I gotta say, I'm excited about this move for Dallas. Now, certainly there's a nostalgic aspect to my optimism and excitement. Growing up as a Cowboys fan in the mid to late 2000s and, you know, early 2010s, my guys were Tony Romo, DeMarcus Ware, and Jason Witten. Those are my three guys. I watched them play every Sunday for most of my childhood. I mean, it felt like those guys were, their Cowboys through and through. Loved watching them play. Witten was one of my favorites. And look, I'm aware that he's not going to be a great player anymore. He was never explosive, and he's only going to be slower. But I think it can be better than what we had last year because the Cowboys' tight ends with Blake Jarwin, Jeff Swaim, Rico Gathers, those guys were disappointments. There was hardly any production out of the tight end position last year, even when Amari Cooper arrived and opened up the field. Witten's a great leader. He was always underrated and a hellacious blocker in the run game. I think he'll be excellent on third down. He always was. Even when he's slow, he has a knack for finding holes in zones. I wouldn't be surprised if in the season he made two or three big third down conversions that end up changing the fortunes of the season that guys like Swam and Jarwin just wouldn't make. He's also regarded as a high potential future coach. And Jerry Jones has made it clear he wants him on staff with the Cowboys in the future this will make it a seamless transition. I'm excited. I firmly believe the 2019 Dallas Cowboys will be better for having Jason Winton on the roster. I know that's the buzzer. I went a little long. It's my podcast. Sue me. But that being said, I am gonna go gonna go ahead and wrap things up on for today's show. As always, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Whether you listened for the whole show, one segment or 30 seconds. It means a lot that you guys would take any time to hear what I have to say when I'm running my mouth about what's going on in sports. If you guys enjoy what you hear and want to come back for more, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on there. You can also subscribe to us now on Spotify. Or if you don't feel like doing any of that, you can always find each week's episode on either my Facebook or Twitter. I post each episode right after I publish it every week, so you can find us there every Friday, usually around this time, 8.30 as well. With that being said, I hope that you guys have a great weekend. Hope that you guys enjoy the final stretch of the NBA season, week three of AAF action, March Madness coming up. Hey, how about those Spartans this past Sunday? Big win for Sparty. And, uh, again, in all seriousness, I really appreciate all the support and you guys who take the time to uh, to give me a little bit of your time each and every week. So, With all that being said, stay warm, enjoy your weekend, and thank you, as always, for listening to The Good Guy Podcast.